Cosmic Reality Chronicles, shows of Cosmic Reality Radio from the past, originally produced by Colleen Kelly of Haggishack Shack Radio. And you are live. Thank you, Colleen. This is Nancy Hopkins. This is the Cosmic Reality Show. I'm here with my co-host, Walt Silva. It is April 26, 2016. Hi, everybody. How you doing, Walt? How you doing, Colleen? Hello, Nancy. Hello, Colleen. Hello, hello, hello. audience. We thank you for um, being here, and I hope you did. Uh, we, we wanted uh, the show on Saturday with Walt and uh, Annette had run over, and I just felt like it was very important to hear the, the final end of that story because, Annette, if you haven't heard her show, and, and you're somebody that's new to the arena, I call it the arena of conspiracy and truthers. She's got, she, she was very skeptic when she, um, first started listening to us and she really began because her mom, Dolly Howard, is, um, a host on Wolf Spirit. So skeptical Annette, as she likes to call herself, um, listened to us and listened with, eh, you know, ooh, ooh, bullshit was what she wanted to call it, but, it, she was open-minded about it. And, you know, after a bit, she's like, oh, my gosh, I think maybe these people are telling me the truth. But she didn't have the growing pains of understanding some of the basics. And so a lot of it was just, you know, sounded crazy to her. So she agreed to do a, a, an hour show. We hope that, you know, eventually it'll it'll grow. But she is talking to people and talking basic, basic stuff. The things that she doesn't understand, and she is just such a treasure to have on the on the station because that is something that is direly needed in the arena, you know. Because so many people come in and they go, "Oh my God, what are you people talking about?" You know, what do you mean the Borg is on its way? You know, what's an archon? You know, I mean, so there's and that's that's one side of it. The other side of it that she hasn't really gotten into and probably would, um, is the stuff of real, you know, are there, is there really a breakaway civilization? Uh, did they get to the moon and find all sorts of artifacts from other countries, uh, other out-of-towners? We call them out-of-towners. There's so much to learn, and each one of us has our own way, our own story. I mean, that, that's the beauty of... of what we're finding is that everybody has a, a a story of how they got here and how they see reality. And now they're in a position to begin to find out, well, what does this mean to me, me as a human being? You know, um, the first thing that happens is you get scared. Oh, my God, everything I know is wrong. 
And then, you know, then you get angry. And then you get to a point where you where you start to look for the information, and then it becomes overwhelming because there's almost too much of it. <laughs> there's so many versions of what the truth is. And so with uh, Annette there helping us, you know, kind of slow down and take another look at it, her 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 basic theme is use your own mind. You know, don't listen to to me or Walt or Colleen or Dolly or Annette herself. Listen to yourself. But what we hope to do is to be able to continually bring forth not just information, but thought. You know, that's why we call ourselves the reality sci-fi. We're not afraid to um, say we don't know, and we're not afraid to say what if, and to... Um, play games with uh, just sitting down and talking about various subjects. Um, I don't think that anybody should get vested in any given storyline because every nobody's sure what's going to happen. And I'm sure the only thing I'm pretty sure of is that every storyline will not be the storyline that ends up being the one that manifests into reality. Now, last week we... Um, we started to go through the rules of cosmic reality, and we got through the the first eight. So just as a as a kind of a, a reminder thing, uh, of course, reality is what we think it is. Majority rules. Those who are in a position of power will keep everyone else from knowing the first two rules of cosmic reality. Those are the three key points. Is that we've got the third one that says that. If you understand, if you're in control of reality, the only way you got there was to understand the first two. Reality is what you think it is, and majority rules. Now, the fourth one is success lies in the in the being, not in the doing. And we're we, we try to bring out the best we can the ways that you can claim dominion over your own beingness, and that once you understand who you are, you're much more powerful as an individual radiating an energy frequency that can be used by others to um, resonate with you so that their energy frequency, even if they haven't got the all of the, you know, the, the mind things, the, the rules and the regulations, just by being in your presence because you're a higher energy vibration, will bring them up in their energies. So it's the key is not if you can go out and you want to lead a new political party or that's not as important as being solid in yourself and just letting a ripple of your own energy go out and influence the collective consciousness or the super consciousness, however you'd like to think of it. And because it's an energy universe, the you have to look at well what what is the most powerful uh creative energy that we know it's thought uh you don't have anything happen if somebody doesn't think about doing it you know and chance is just a pseudonym for thought if you begin to think certain ways you'll see the synchronicity if you pay attention to the details you'll begin to see that oh yeah you know i i sort of asked for that person to come into my life oh yeah you know i really did ask for a new job you know uh it all comes down to what the thought is then we talk about you are not alone, and that can take on so many different, it can be you're not alone because you've got so many different energy bodies in you, you have your higher self, your soul, your spirit, Whew, there's a lot of things, or it can be that you've got spiritual guides and that there's ETs out there, And I mean, you're not alone, 
And interestingly enough, that concept of not being alone gets us to the next one, which is everything that exists is linked to everything that exists. And it goes back to the concept of the spider web. You know, if a bug hits a spider web, the whole web shakes. And we talked about different things that indicated, uh, you know, the, the collected, we, we, everything is like this huge orchestra. I like to think of it as an orchestra. And every person in that orchestra is incredibly important. And if one person is out of tune, the orchestra is out of tune. So every single person, every single animal, every single plant, every single mineral, they're all critical in ways that we don't understand because we're only beginning our journey down the understanding of, of energy and how to use it and how to use it to manifest new realities. Um, we ended with there are a finite number of souls, and that's kind of a conversation that we could talk about for a very long time. So I'm not going to talk about it right now. We'll probably mention it again. But the one that we're on now is the goal of living is to tap into the conscious mind of the soul. What do you think, Walt? Uh, the goal of living, number nine, is to tap into the conscious mind of the soul. I think it's the other way around, is that to let the soul experience what it is to have a mind. Because you don't, you don't need a mind to exist. The, the mind is an interface device that you use to play with the dimensions. But you can be conscious and awake and not use the mind at all. So I would, I would look at it from the other way. The goal of living is for the soul to come in and have experience with a mind and a body. Because you have a body, but you're not the body, and you have a mind, and you're not the mind. And the soul is conscious, but it, it doesn't require a mind to be conscious. That's where the confusion comes in, is that you can read hundreds and hundreds of books, and every time they speak about the mind, they equate that with consciousness. No, I, I when Eric uh, did that a 15-step process with me, it was fantastic. It was the biggest realization I've ever had to be able to witness my mind as something separate from me. You know, there's a mind, here I am, so how come I'm still awake and be able to observe this? And that's what the masters teach. You have a body, you're not the body. You have a mind, but you're not the mind. So, but then maybe you could be talking about a different kind of mind. That, <laughs> I don't know. Well, when I'm talking about the mind... I'm talking about what what my mind. I'm talking about my brain, how my brain is working. You know, what I know is is in between my head. You know, between in, inside my head. When I'm thinking, I'm thinking inside my head. But then I can take that and expand it out into the etheric to do remote viewing or to um, you know essentially use it in it's it's bigger than i am i will agree with that it's bigger than my physical body it's not completely locked into my physical body now is that the mind of the it's not the mind of the of the, the lower body because i would re, i would refer to that as your 
consciousness because consciousness is not bound by dimension. The mind is is bound to the body in in that sense. Uh, okay, let me let me let me ask you this: What would maybe were you maybe we should use the word brain? You know, the human brain as a bio organ. You know, it it it, it works with the two hemispheres. And that's what becomes really fascinating if you look at from that standpoint, because it's almost like you have two separate consciousnesses within your brain. <clears throat> On the right side, you've got the ability to be intuitive and creative and, and, um, actually it would seem based on that, um, video, that talk, that TED talk by, uh, Dr. Joyce Taylor, I think her name is. Correct. When she had the stroke. Yep. And what happened was that she, she's a neurological scientist, a doctor. She, she, she knows what happens to the brain, the nerves, the, the way it works and the two spheres and, and, or hemispheres. And what, it was hysterical. I mean, if you, if you just listen to what she's saying, because she began to call the Lottie Dob consciousness you know where she was like oh yeah I, right. I might be having a stroke here and it's kind of nice because you know talk about it Walt you've, you've seen it well I saw the video and to me it makes sense everything she described because we all understand the mechanical aspect of not, not the, the energetic the mechanical aspect of the heart the primary function of the heart is to pump and move blood you know, that's a given. They teach it to us from earliest school. We understand that. What we are not taught is just like the heart pumps blood, the purpose of the brain is to pump thought energy. Memories do not exist in the brain. The reason you suffer amnesia when you have some kind of, if you have a deep emotional trauma, we know that amnesia is because a fragment of you has broken up. When you have some kind of infection or uh, car crash and there's severe tissue damage to the brain. It's not because you now short-circuited the brain and now all those memories are gone. No, not at all. What happens is that the brain, like a thought pump, it's a retrieval tool. Your memories are in the energetic sphere of the planet, in the electromagnetic field of the planet. So by damaging the brain, now you damage the machine that you use to retrieve that. You damage the pump to bring those back to you. And also, um, that explains also that, you know, why some long-term memories are easier to accept than short memories, short-term memories. Well, you know, so, this is this is interesting because there was a doctor, there was a young girl, and at 14 she had had a massive blow to one side of her head, I don't remember which. Mm-hmm. And... He felt that the damage done to the, to the brain was, um, it was damaged. It was no good. So maybe he should just get rid of it and see what happens then. And so he, you know, opened her up and took it. They, they took an amazing, cause she was calm. I mean, she was just a vegetable and they took out the damaged part of her brain and on the, the brain that was left all of a sudden turned on mm. and did have, um, the, the 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 same capacity as the damaged brain. In other words, we know we got two types of systems working. And mm-hmm. he felt that 
because the damage to the brain and the destruction of that part of the brain was slow, that there was enough time to transmit all of the files. And he said even maybe there's even a backup within the other side, you know, that you actually back up. It's like a dual system. So that's very interesting, your concept of it being a pump, because certainly if you're if you've got neurological cells that are holding memory and you take it out, it shouldn't it shouldn't be there. And yet it was. But if you've got a pump system to simply a an an organ designed to to create the matrix for thought to happen in, then um and and you you've got a backup system, you know, a dual backup system. One fails, the other one can kick in. Well, that's why the um back in two thousand four when I was reading I was first started reading the articles about the Earth's ascension that the earth was moving toward this ascension. You know, this is before 2012. <clears throat> Several authors that I read at the time coincided on one element that they, they said that one of the things that was going to be happening with a major energy shift of the planet was the erasure of karmic debt. All those thought forms that make up what's known as, in air quotes, karmic debt, that was going to be erased because that the, they said, at, at least the author that I read, that there was going to be a major reset of the Earth's magnetic magnetosphere given the energetic shift that the planet was experiencing. So all that stuff that's stored in the electromagnetic field of the Earth, it was going to be deleted. Like when you take a magnet and you pass it along a tape and it deletes the information that's on the tape. So right then and there, you know, that, you know, the, the thing that we, it's difficult to accept the concept is because everybody thinks, well, wait a minute, if all my memories are out there in the electromagnetic field of the planet, how come other people can't, uh, see my memories or retrieve my memories? Well, number one, if this field did not exist, you know, why do you think telepathy works? That's number one. Number two, your memories have your signature, your fingerprint. So only you are going to retrieve your memories. The only way that somebody else is going to retrieve your memories is if you, if you have like when you do a temporary energy contract with somebody, an energy healer or a shaman or someone, you're giving them permission to access your life history. Then for a, for a limited time, that person will see, will witness your memories, which is, I, I didn't know that was what I was witnessing, but it's starting to happen to me as people ask me, send me questions and they say, okay, I give you permission to speak to my guides. And all of a sudden, you know, they don't answer with, they don't give me a piece of paper with a question, the answer to the question written out. No, they, they go ahead and they show me images of what happened to the person. So essentially I'm accessing that part of the field that has this person's record. Of course it's temporary because I, I have us to Betsy. I, I don't want permanent access to people's, you know, memories, but that's essentially what's happening. If that memory were exclusively contained in the brain, how the heck am I going <laughs> to get the information <laughs> out of the out of the person? Well, it goes so, back. It goes back to that um, a show I did. I don't know, probably two years now, involving consciousness, and that. Uh, anesthesiologist was the one who got with a quantum physicist and they were looking at, at, you know, what is consciousness? And the reason the doctor was involved in that kind of thinking was because 
his job required him to put people in a state of death, technically, so that they could be operated on. And I want you to talk about the etheric, but what he saw with talking to the quantum physicist is that the the consciousness that they believed, and I'm not sure why they believed it, is somehow or another kept in the um, microtubulars of the basis. All of your cells have got microtubulars that are like uh, the the inner structure. It gives structure to the cells. That they're also acting like little computers, and they believed that this consciousness in a, in an alive person, that's where it resided. But because it takes such a little bit of energy to maintain that conscious energetic field, when a person dies, the doctor felt that it or is put into a state of death through, through drugs, that the consciousness sort of like just went outside of the body. And you, you'll, I want you to talk about the etheric, but that it, it sort of like just is, is connected somehow. And if the person is revived, like, when he wakes them up from the drugs, then that consciousness, again, resides back in the body. Um, can you talk on that? When speaking of the body, what the, uh, the primary thing that has to be taken into consideration is the low soul, which is the soul of the actual physical body. So those microtubules, the, thing that you, the structure that you described, is exactly that, the interface mechanism that the low soul consciousness or what we normally call the subconscious is going to use to interface with all the body cells. Uh, I mean, the subconscious is the, or the low soul is the one that uh, concerns itself with anything and everything that happens with the body. In fact, that's, I don't know, you remember in the show when I said to <clears throat> Annette um, that the subconscious, the low soul, has no way to tell the difference between reality and fantasy. It hasn't, because the access to the five sense telephones, if you think of the five senses as communication lines, like telephones, the primary access to those is given to the high soul, the soul that plugs into the brain. You know, it's the, the consciousness that you refer to as Nancy Hopkins. The low soul is, is dependent on the interface with your mind in order to know what the heck's happening in the outside world. It's like you're sitting inside a car and all the windows are, are covered up. And somebody's giving you instructions in your ear. Okay, turn left, turn right, hit the gas, hit the brakes. <laughs> so if this person tells you, you know, oh, we're coming up on a, on a dead-end street, you have no choice. You have to believe the person. You're coming up on a dead-end street because you can't see it. So the, <clears throat> the low soul is the one that it's connected to all the cells. And that's why when you, you can hypnotize people, and if you hypnotize them and you say, and you tell them, oh, you just pierced your thumb with a needle and it's bleeding. Nothing has happened to the person physically, and yet all of a sudden you'll see a, a bead of blood beginning to form on the thumb. You the, the low soul has no way of knowing if that actually happened, but it has to respond in... in and like, because you just gave it an order. Oh, your thumb has been pierced. So all this microtubules and all this stuff, yes, it is the interface mechanism of the low soul. And the reason so why... Let me, let, me just, yeah. let me just hold your thought there. So yeah. um, when, the, when the doctor and the quantum physicist got together and they located what they considered consciousness, 
they in fact were only talking about the consciousness of the human body in the lower soul connection. Correct. So that the body, now this, this really is starting to make sense to me. So the body has got, been, been built internally with this micro, microtubular communication system that it, because it's the cellular level is all connected through the DNA and everything is working and talking to each other and it's a system. The actual consciousness of that is what this doctor and the quantum physicists were talking about, this quantum connection, but it's, it's, it's within the body. So, but right. there's like a secondary reading, a secondary copy of all of the experiences, the consciousness at some other level. Would that be true? Uh, how do you mean? Well, in other words, when they were talking about it, I think they were talking, they thought that that was the only consciousness, but now it's becoming clear by what you're saying is that they were talking about, let's say in quotes, the consciousness of the lower body, the yeah. body, the lower soul. And that in order for the, for us to, um, consider, because the doctor said that he was firmly convinced that this, that there was such cohesion in this, consciousness that when the body if the body died it he said i don't know if there's afterlife i just think that for at least some time after that that soul stays together that i mean excuse me the consciousness stays together so that would be very true of the um the lower soul that you know right. if, the, if the body dies there's probably this lower soul's consciousness that in energy form just think of it as an energy bu bubble um, if that is not addressed correctly it will not have gotten the message cease and desist <laughs> <laughs> right because it's no longer needed that body is gone it's died but that consciousness if it doesn't understand death and so therefore you've got the dreamwalkers that are needed to be able to it, they have know, to be ushered back, back into the earth Look at it this way. You, by now, you know, you and others that, you know, people that have, we've been studying this for now. It's, we are, they're not surprised, we are not surprised when the subject comes up of soul fragmentation, right? We, you know, we're getting to see cases and we're getting to have experiences so much so that it's, it's an accepted subject. Souls have the ability to fragment. They're not limited by time or space. They're not made of cheese that you can cut it into slices and you can only get 10 slices out of this body of cheese. It doesn't work that way. They are not limited by time, space, dimension. So they, they can fragment and they do fragment. Now, if you consider the size and scope of a single human being and the, the high soul being capable of doing this and the low soul can also fragment, imagine what a planetary sentience can do with her soul. That's why the low souls come from the planet and they have to be ushered back into the planet, into their own specific groups. That's why like Chinese people, they have groups of low souls. Uh, Richard Alston, who lives in in Hawaii, um, he was contracted to do a clearing on a property that had been owned by a Chinese family there in Hawaii. And he was surprised when he found them. He says, it was a small group of low souls that were still stuck to the place. 
but he was uh, surprised to find their level of maturity. They were so awake and aware of what was going on. It was almost like he was dealing with a high soul. So obviously these were really very old uh, souls that had had very many incarnations and they had now, you know, evolved enough because of the, the subconscious, when you're dealing with the subconscious, you have to accept the simple fact that it's like dealing with a five or six year old child. It doesn't know him. It doesn't know any better. The subconscious doesn't understand lying. That's why I said to Annette, if you're eating food, regardless of how innocuous it is what you're eating, and you say to yourself, oh, a bite of this and I'm going to get five more pounds on my thighs, you will get five more pounds in your thighs. The subconscious is hearing you. It's listening. All your cells are listening. They will respond in kind. That's why, you know, lying is so harmful to your energetic integrity. Uh, I don't know if you knew or, or familiar with the story of Moses and his brother. Um, uh, Moses had achieved such level with um, the, the, there are whole books written about the subject of the power of the voice. I mean, you could go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble and take your pick. There are many authors that write about the power of of the word of the voice and uh, Moses he all his life he traveled with his brother wherever he went when, because they you know they did negotiating you know they had herd uh, they had sheep they had other stuff so uh, I don't remember I think they did uh, caravan type of uh, merchant exchange but wherever he went he had to go with his brother because what happened is when they had to do some kind of dealing or dialogue with someone, Moses would whisper in his brother's ear, and then the brother would be the one, the go-between, between, between uh, Moses and the clients or whoever they had to talk to. And the reason for that was uh, Moses couldn't trust himself to speak to the people directly because whatever he de declared would come to pass. I mean, if he looked at a person and he was offended or arguing for some reason on the and he said to the person you're dead that person would drop to the ground dead because the power of his voice was so tremendous he could manifest stuff just by declaring stuff so after the first accident he he said okay no more and he that's why he continued he would speak through his brother he wouldn't he didn't, didn't trust himself to speak out loud to other people and that's why how he avoided accidents. So when somebody gets into the habit of lying pathologically because it's a sport or because like my mother's sister, I mean, she couldn't even tell the truth to save her life. Uh, it begins to demolish you energetically. A lot of your inner powers and abilities begin to get sabotaged and short-circuited because now all of a sudden you are sabotaging the power of your voice, which is your... It's a big thing in, in the subject of manifesting. And uh, where I was going with this. Okay. Well, let, <laughs> let me throw this in there. The Russians were uh, have determined that the DNA of every human being, the most powerful way to change yeah. it is through the voice. There you and go. That would certainly make sense if the, the voice modulation is so connected to these microtubular consciousness because if thought predicates creation, 
then it's probably that you've just told those little microtubulars, you know, this guy is dead. So you just changed reality. Yep. And that's and, why you can you can eat um, something that's unhealthy or something that somebody. But if you if you're eating it and you you love this food, uh, doesn't matter for what reason you love it. You know you, you like it. It satisfies your hunger. You feel good when you eat it. Your body is hearing you. It's hearing you, seeing, experiencing your reaction. So that that food is going to get digested. It's not going to kill you. I mean, you see people look at that lady that was. Uh, my mom showed me the video. She um, there's a, somebody posted a video on Facebook. She's 107 years old, and she she drinks something like three or four Dr. Peppers per day. Now you know what. They say out there about soft drinks that they're so harmful because of the sugar, the phosphoric acid. And this woman has been doing this for decades. Well, in her reality, it's not bad for her. So her body has the ability to transmute it. <laughs> for those that don't believe in physical transmutation, um, when I first read David Wilcock back in 2004, um, before he had it printed out as a book, uh, you know his website is called Divine Cosmos. That title comes from the first book he wrote, which he wrote in three parts. And each book is a very fascinating compendium of information that he gathered, you know, from different disciplines and different fields of activity. And that's that's his forte, making connections between things that appear seemingly, you know, disconnected. And in one chapter... He discussed this, the power of biology, of living bodies, to transmute matter. And one of the examples he gave was a study, I forget if it was done in Europe or in Russia, where they were very carefully monitoring the substance intake in a group of hens. They were monitoring very carefully, you know, how much water, what kind of feed, what's the chemical content of the feed, Everything. And what they found was that the chicken was actually, by some as, as of yet unknown process of inner fusion, was creating calcium in the body. Because when they did an analysis of how much minerals were coming into the, into the body of the hen from the food, against how much calcium content was in all the eggshells of all the eggs that it produced in a specific period of time, it wasn't possible. That calcium never came from the food and it never came from the bones of the chicken or the hen. So they they, they, they had no choice but to admit to the evidence before them that somehow the bird was uh, transmuting and creating calcium within her body. Even when they went so far as to make sure the chicken was getting zero calcium in her diet. Still, it was producing oodles of calcium. <laughs> That's fascinating, because I've wondered about that. I've actually <laughs> wondered about that. Like, how can they, where are they getting all that eggshell, you know? Yeah. Wow. And so, so what, did, our, what did David, what did David conclude? Oh no, he, he accepted what the, these experts were reporting, but the body. But somehow was, or another, the body itself was manifesting out of, out of no 3D molecules what it needed to create yeah. an egg. See, the thought came first, even before the egg. <laughs> yeah. And, and like I said to, 
to Joyce uh, when 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 we were show with Stephanie, and I said to give you an idea how miraculous is the body and what it can do. You know, but it, everybody takes uh, eating for granted. You know, I eat something, I'm going to digest it. Eventually, I'm going to you know eliminate it. But uh, years ago, back in Argentina, when I started studying uh, Hatha Yoga in in the chapter regarding nutrition, the author um, pointed to the following, that if you were to do in a laboratory setting what the body can do, you know, you eat a, a bite of food, it's going to go through the entire digestive apparatus, and in all the, throughout the stages of that, it's going to be reduced down to the molecules that the our bodies need a molecule which is the unit of energy, it's ADP, it's adenosine triphosphate. Uh, just like the body has organs, you know the cells have little microscopic organs called organelles. One of those organelles is called a mitochondria. It looks like the sole of a shoe, the shape of it, it's like a long oval thing. And the mitochondria uses ADP to produce energy for the cell. For the cell to do, you know, go through its own living activity, you know, division, assimilation of food, elimination. That's the energy that it uses. Now, if you were to take a bite of food and convert it into ADP outside the body, you would need a laboratory with equipment. You're going to be having to apply thousands of degrees of temperature. You're going to be having to apply several hundred atmospheres worth of pressure, and you're going to need a, a slew of substances and equipment to be able to do in several hours of work what the body does in, in maybe four or five hours at the most. At I told room. you human beings were amazing. <laughs> at room temperature and a single atmosphere of pressure. <laughs> so, and, and modern medicine treats the body like it's a car. Oh, this doesn't work. Let's take it out. We'll cut it off. We'll put a rep- no. It's it's alive. It's intelligence. It has it has a soul driving it. It knows what, how to repair itself. It knows how to rejuvenate itself. Take all the poisons out of it. It'll do. It will fix itself. But if the the problem is always the same, like Doctor Costa said, people could regrow their teeth indefinitely. And I said, why don't they? Because of the thinking process. They have it in their heads that once a, a tooth dies, it'll never grow back again. So that blocks the work of the low soul. The low soul can't regrow a new tooth because you just told it, oh, no, you can't. I'm old. Once the tooth is broken, stop it. Don't make any more. Okay, so, who, who's you? <laughs> who's you? you? Who, who just, you said, you tell it. Who is you? Who's doing the telling? You, your belief systems, your conscious belief systems, on that which you give to the subconscious, you buy into the belief system that you can only have one set of teeth in your life. After your baby teeth, you can only have one set of teeth, you know, and you believe that. You know, I understand. You, I understand that. But where, where is that? Where is that? Is that in your mind? Is that in your soul? Where, where, where is that conscious? That is in your waking mind. It's one of the belief systems in your waking mind, and you believe it so firmly, you give it to the subconscious. So the subconscious also believes it. Okay, so we've got the subconscious mind. See, I have different, I looked at it differently. But you've got the subconscious, um, lower soul mind that is really 
probably located in the mito, mito, the, the micro, micro. Well, no, the brain, the brain for the low soul is the body brain, which is the one, is the, that, I don't know if you studied anatomy where the, where the solar plexus is located in the body. And this, this I learned from Hatha Yoga. And then again from Dr. Costa. There's a very complex nerve structure right then and there. That's why if somebody receives a well-placed sucker punch there, you will have instant death. That is the body brain. That is the brain of the low soul. No, no, wait a minute. Let me get this straight. Okay, so your solar plexus has a neurological organ? It's It's a very complex nerve structure. It doesn't look but like it a, is it is a 3D nerve structure that's within correct. the same energy field that the solar plexus plexus chakra is located. Yep, Dr. Costa called it the body brain, not the not the cranial brain. Now, what do what do what do 3D doctors call it? I don't know. The Hatha yogis accept that it is the body brain. The modern scientists I refuse to accept that it's there. So that, so modern scientists don't even see it. Yeah. They, they, they see the, the nerve structure, but they just write it off as, well, it's there because of the digestive blah, blah, blah. Oh, oh, it's there because of the, the, the muscular structure of the abdomen, blah, blah, blah. And I'm totally missing the point. But you, okay. okay. You, so, 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 so the, the brain for the animal soul is in, is in the solar plexus in this in the in, in the 3D version. Uh, Doctor Costa a, referred to it as the pit of the stomach. The pit of the stomach. Helps. Okay. No, I know That's where the solar right. plexus. I just never heard of this um, this 3D nerve structure that happens to be there. Yeah, he he did a whole. Um, he spent something like six months putting together all the course materials to give this at one of the local universities um, there in California where he lives. And after he had everything put together and, you know, everybody had revised all the information and everything, they just filed it away. They didn't care to teach it. So right then and there, <laughs> when something like that happens, there's no, as you said, there's no coincidence. They, they just, it was it didn't behoove them to teach it. Because, you know, the more things you learn, you know, Knowledge is power. So would you say that that's the location of the, in your terms, the subconscious? Yeah. When you do that, that's why all of the, all of this information is, was important for us to learn, uh, when we were learning the 15 step process, which is a way to take a person up into the fourth dimension to see and speak to their guides to get physical repair. Because the induction process, it's a very light, like a transpersonal hypnotherapy type, but it's very light. The person is not fully asleep. In fact, if the person goes to sleep, then you can't do any work. Because the process entails you guiding the waking consciousness of the person, the the waking consciousness of the high soul, which is in the brain. And through an induction process that they taught us, you bring it down into the pit of the stomach. So when you're, when you're there, it's, 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 you're at the point of oneness. In fact, you, you, when you're talking to the person, you make them do like a mental motion and you say, okay, what is your number now? Oh, it's a three. 
So you continue repeating the process, that part of the process, until the person, you say, okay, what is your number now? One. Then you know for sure that the waking consciousness is now sitting in the body brain. Because when you're there, you're not affected by the veil anymore. You can see the other side. You can go into fourth dimension and see your guides, speak to your guides, and get physical healing. So that's why all of this knowledge of anatomy needed to be known, so that you could guide the person correctly. So you're saying that, okay, the the, the subconscious is located in this particular area of the body, and you, you were trained to take your higher consciousness down so that it could merge with that, and Correct. so it's through the the lower consciousness center that you get to the other side? Because the high consciousness, and you already know this, is fully affected by the veil. You know, the veil of forgetting. It didn't happen to you, but it happens to most people that you, you know, incarnate, and all of a sudden you can't remember what lives you had. You can't see the other side. You can't speak to, you can't speak to dead people because this veil is blocking you from the other side. Well, the subconscious is not affected by the veil. None of the cells in your body are affected by the veil. They have an open door to the other side. It's just that nobody knows that it's there. Purposely, you don't get taught that. So by having the, the persons very slightly hypnotized and bringing their high consciousness into the pit of the stomach, now they can, you, you start asking them questions and they're, they're there. They're, they can see the stairway going down. They see the stairway going up. And they see their guys, and you can ask them questions. How many guys do you see? Too? Can you ask their names? Yes. And and the important thing is to uh, here's where <laughs> here's why I disagreed with you with a with a point nine earlier. While you're doing all this, you constantly have to just keep talking to the person because Tell at me. no point can you allow them to start thinking because that's. Alrighty, we are back. Out there, we've got a uh, little technical problem, but um, Colleen and her magic little fingers fixed it. The um, program last week and this week are actually still talking about uh, the rules of cosmic reality. And we seem to have been stuck on nine, but I'm absolutely fascinated with it because it's it's forcing us to kind of like get into the details of some of the words that we use. And probably, and that's a good... Um, a good influence on us that, you know, pay attention to the details. What, 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 what? Uh, so, um, Walt, we were talking about the lower soul. Yeah, this is, um, <clears throat> I was getting to the point of explaining, um, why the mind is not what you're using when you're doing your, you know, expanded consciousness or your remote viewing is, when the when you're guiding a person in the 15 step process and you you go through the induction you bring their higher consciousness down into the pit of the stomach so for a limited time they're sharing that space with the low soul and you know now they're not being affected by the veil now they can see the other side talk to their guides you know get physical healing your job as the guide the person sitting next to this person guiding them is to keep talking, like ask a question, wait for the answer, and then continue. Always keep talking, like asking them, what is your level? Okay, my, le- uh, my level is one. 
because the point of talking is it keeps them focused in the now and it stops them from thinking. Because if you remain quiet for an extended period, the person begins thinking about what they're experiencing and both off they come off of the, the point of oneness and they go back into their heads. So the mind is actually an inconvenience, not a, not a, it's a liability, not a benefit. <laughs> so so we're, we're, now this, this higher mind, you're saying that that's located within the brain. The, the, the waking mind, that's what we, the, what we refer to as the waking consciousness or that waking mind. It's in the brain and it's primarily in the frontal lobes. And so if the, you want, okay, if you want well, to do they, like focusing exercises, the, the best exercise is when you move inside your brain. So you take the point of attention from the frontal lobes and you go back into the back of the head. You'll get away from all that noise that's there all the time. I actually think that's where I normally think. In the is back in, of your head? In the, yeah, in the middle back of my head. Yep. That's where well, your, the, the third eye portal is. Now, okay, now, you, you talked earlier about the brain being a thought pump. Mm-hmm. Within the brain, you're saying that it's your belief system that the higher mind, the higher consciousness, is somewhere in the frontal lobe. No, that, that's where we primarily, when we're thinking about something, or like you're thinking about the news, or you have a hundred thoughts going through your head, is because your point of focus is in the frontal lobe area. That's where all that activity is happening. If you want to be able to uh, quiet or not, you know, not pay attention to all that all that noise, you move back inside your head, the point of attention, and there. That point of attention is further proof that you are not the mind. You have a mind, you use it, very useful tool, very handy to figure out, you know, how much money I need to buy my groceries. I'm not going to deny how useful it is, but you're not the mind. <laughs> In many cases, it's more of a liability than a benefit because it's, it was made accessible, which is a big, which has worked against us because by being made accessible, you know, you've seen what the system has done with the mind. It's been heavily programmed to keep you asleep. So, okay, I, I've told this story before, probably in this conversation some point. But um, I was in a history class, and it was just a classroom, and it, we were starting. The, well, we weren't starting; we were just getting in the classroom for the class. And this girl walks in, and she—I thought she'd forgot her purse or something. And she walks in, this guy walks in, and they start doing this pantomime thing. And what happened in my head was that I shut down watching, recording what I was seeing. Now, I'm assuming I'm recording in the part of the frontal lobe that you're talking about. I'm taking in the information, I'm recording, and I'm looking at it, okay? Right? Correct? Mm -hmm. That would be where that was happening. Yes? Yes, because you you notice... um when you're studying for a test and you're cramming and you're reading a lot of information, uh, at a, after a, a certain amount of time, it could be anything, 15 minutes, 20, 30 minutes, you start feeling a pressure in your head. And many people believe that, oh, it's because I've been focusing, oh, my eyes are tired, oh, it's because I've been studying this for like four hours. 
that pressure is real, and it's that energy pressure that you've built up on the frontal lobes. If you take that, uh, if you do a simple exercise, and you can use any visualization that you want. Um, in my case, when I do it, I imagine that it's it's like a, a roll of parchment. The information that I just absorbed is like a roll of parchment, and then I'm rolling it up, and then inside the head, you move it back. You take that, and you move it back toward the back of the head, and just, you you know that at the bottom of the skull is the point where the skull meets the spinal cord, and there's an opening there. So if you just visualize that there's like a hatchet opening there, and then you're, you dump the, in my case, I dump the roll of parchment down the hatch, and what it's, what it's doing is now you're committing it to your chakra system, so now it's being recorded by your subconscious. So the next time you need to remember something, it's readily available for your retrieval, and you don't have to rely on uncertain memory to get that piece back because the subconscious never sleeps, never forgets anything. So that's a way of accessing your subconscious consciously and using it to help you study. And, if, and when you do that, you notice that the pressure in your head actually goes away. You just move the energy to another place in, in your body. Okay. I'm going to play a net here. <laughs> okay. So you, you're, you're, you're concentrating on something and you get what might be considered a headache. Uh-huh. And so you visualize the frontal part of your brain as a piece of parchment and you wrap it, it up. It could be a book. It could be, use your imagination. It could be a, a chip. Okay, I'm a, just trying to figure out. Stick, a hard drive. You put the picture. You know, don't listen to my, I'm just illustrating. But I like your old school type, you know, <laughs> parchment. Okay, and if you roll it up, or the book you just write in it, or the 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 um, uh, thumb drive you just put the information on it. Okay, so now you have the information on a device, and in your mind, where do you put it? I just move it back from from the frontal lobe, which is behind your forehead. Move it back in your head so it's in alignment with your neck. And and just just see at the bottom of the skull, you know, the opening. Where the, you know, the skull joins the spine. Okay, so you move it back until you're over the hole in your skull that, where your, where your neck is. Correct. And you drop it in and now you have, and, and you give it the intent to go into your chakra system. Correct. So now it's there and whenever you have need of that information, you'll see you'll remember it ten times faster than if you had, you know, done many, many hours of study. Well, that's fascinating. Okay, now back to my, back to my my uh, pantomime in the uh, in the in the in the classroom. Okay, so I've recorded this. Now I actually felt my mind shift from this recording that I was doing and shift, and then replayed everything I had just seen and interpreted what I had just seen. What 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 does this look like to me? And to me, it was the pantomiming of somebody in a restaurant, taking an order, telling the chef, getting the order, putting it on the on the make-believe counter, um, and then I slipped back into that frontal lobe thing and began recording again. But while I was probably almost instantaneously, 
doing this review, I lost the recording. I did not know. I was not paying attention to the recording that was happening in the frontal lobe because I'm back in the back part of my mind. Is this what you're saying to me? Am I giving you an example of that? Well, if you forgot it, it's, you never, uh, it was never properly stored. So it's like, a, with, with, remember the 8-track tapes? They were endless. They would go back to the beginning and then play again. So if you're recording and the thing goes, does a, a complete cycle, then you're recording on top of the old recording. So you, uh, what you did there, that was an excellent ex- uh, exercise in consciousness. Not mind. That, that thing that you were doing where you recorded the thing and then you shifted into another space. That's all consciousness movement. That's not mind. The well, that's, that, yeah, that, that's what I'm trying to get to because, um, like I say, it was a very pivotal moment in my life, that particular exercise, because the professor was sure that nobody would have figured this out. And yet I did. But what he gave me was he said, let's sit down and find out why you're, why you were able to do that because that's not natural. Most people cannot absolutely record something in that detail and then interpret what they've seen so accurately. And so he made me sit down and we discussed and, you know, put me back and what did, what was happening? And that's when I got that relationship of, it was almost like I was focusing on a screen in front of me. Let's say the frontal lobe screen. And I'm focused on it. And then I'm sitting there in the theater focused on this thing. And all of a sudden I go like, what the hell did I just see? <laughs> now I've stopped looking and recording and focused on the screen. I'm not focused on the screen anymore. I'm replaying it in my head. You know, what did I just see? And that's exactly what it felt like to me. So from then on, I was very keen on knowing basically where in my brain I was, I was thinking. Also, you, uh, you are, you yourself, Nancy Hopkins, are an exceptional case because since you were born not affected by the veil like other people, otherwise, if you had been fully affected by the veil like any Joe on the street, you would not have been able to retrieve those other life memories. They would have been locked away from you. That is the function of the veil. That is the purpose of the veil. That's why in esoteric tests, texts, they call it the veil of forgetting. But, you know, you made a promise (laughs) before you left the previous life that you would not forget. And that was enough of a contract that the veil is hardly applicable to you. It maybe uh, its effect on you is much less than other people. Maybe it affects you only some of the time, as opposed to most of the time for other people. So you were moving. That's that's the way life should be normal. You know, you should be able to do all those consciousness maneuvers and shifts because we shouldn't be affected by this veil that makes us believe that oh yeah, this is all that we are. We are this physical body. We are this mind, and you know, it's part of this. Stupid theater play. Okay, so let's let's go back to this um, discussion of okay. So you've got the thinking level at the frontal lobe, and it's making all this noise. It's talking, talking, talking. And if you can either shut it down, stop it. If if you shut it down and make it stop talking, just you know, turn off the the projector. 
let the screen go dead, dead, you know, black screen there. Would that be a state of meditation? It would be another uh, another state of uh, consciousness. You see it in the Castaneda books. And uh, I don't know if you remember, uh, I forget which, there's so many books I've read only, like three of them, there's more. Uh, in one of the books is where Don Juan is teaching Carlos this um, consciousness exercise, and he called it uh, stopping the world. And that's all it was. It was stopping that endless stream of thought so that you experience things as they are, not as this endless stream of noise. Now, because it is very hard to do, it's easier to move inside the head. That is a lot easier for a person. Just close your eyes and imagine you're inside of your head or your head is empty. There's no nothing occupying any space, which is... <laughs> Not a strange concept <laughs> when you meet some people. And if you move back from the frontal lobes, you're going to be moving away from that endless stream of thinking. So you will experience the quiet. You will have that moment of, you know, inner silence. But I mean, we're, we're so used to reacting as opposed to acting that something like uh, in the case of the 15th step, we have to come up with something to keep the person from thinking. So you're constantly talking to them, asking them questions, you know, checking their level. So as, because they're hearing your voice, that brings their attention to some to a point outside of themselves because they're hearing your voice. The moment you go quiet, they go back into their heads, they engage their thinking again, and that throws them out of being at the point of oneness. So that's that's one that's one of the ways to quiet the mind. Move from the frontal lobes, move into the center of the head. The more you get used to doing it, it's like any like any habit, like you know, riding a bike or uh, the habit of exercising. Once it becomes a habit, it's not effort anymore. It doesn't take a lot of energy and time. It's something that you do it naturally, which in your case is something that yes, you did learn to do it naturally. When people are in, in, uh, not, not focused on the, the, you know, the, well, it's probably a beta signal, but they're not focused on that, you know, thing that's happening in front of them. They're inside their own heads. They're in that quiet space. Mm-hmm. Where is that? What would you call that? Well, the, the mind sphere is actually, it's not inside the head. The, the the mind sphere is actually a sphere around the body, and it it's six feet in every direction. And in fact, they did a. <clears throat> you remember you were in the military. Remember those famous laboratories in England called the the Dela um, the War. It was Dela War something laboratories, where they did a lot of psychic research. I, I'm, it sounds familiar, but I'm not sure what. I, I don't remember if it was in, in the late 40s or in the 50s. They, uh, a lot of, you know, Russians went there, people from different parts of Europe went to the, these laboratories because they did all kinds of psychic investigations and studies. And they did an experiment that confirmed that the mind sphere is actually, it is spherical and it surrounds the body, uh, and it's six feet in every direction from the 
center of the from the um, center of gravity in the body. You know, that's in the stomach. And if you measure six feet in every direction, up, down, you know, it's it's a f- sphere. And what they did, they had this experiment where they would have a, a man, a subject, sitting at the center of a room. And there would be these little electric train, train tracks. Um, and they were, like, set up like spokes in a wheel. So from from anywhere in the perimeter of the room, they could launch a little train, and they had the subject wired up in a specific way. The purpose of the experiment was to have um, the subject mentally command one of the little electric trains to come to them. That was a, that was the part of the experiment. the The subject was instructed to command the train, come to me. So then they, you know, they went through a lot of subjects, a lot of test time, and some people did have teleconnected capabilities, and the little train would react, and it would come up toward the person. But the thing that confounded them, regardless of the gender of the subject or the age of the subject, was that the train stopped exactly six feet from the subject every single time, regardless of which train from which direction it came, it always stopped six feet. So that's when, I I don't know what other tests or experiments they did after that, but it confirmed that the the mind sphere extends six feet from the center of gravity in the body in every direction. And to further, uh, to give more demonstration of that, he, Dr. Costa says that there's something that happens in extreme situations. Uh, I've seen a film of it, and he described a case of it. Somebody, um, somebody was doing skydiving. I don't remember if it was, this man was doing it alone by himself, um, or he had a, a skydiving buddy. Um, but the point that um, Dr. Costa wanted to make was the mind sphere under certain conditions, it's absolutely in, impenetrable. Absolutely. Nothing can get in it or through it. Uh, so he, uh, he didn't have the recording with him, but he was able to give some people the information where they could get it in the library. So they're filming these guys that are doing skydiving and something happened with one of the men where the, the parachute failed some, something like 500 feet above the ground or something like that. So they thought, oh, my God, this guy for sure is a goner. And Dr. Costa was surmising from what happened afterward that the guy must have been maybe religiously devout or something, but he must have done something where he committed all his faith, you know, to be saved or or all his faith on surviving. But the crazy thing is that when he body, when his body, you see the body coming down, and it hits the ground. But instead of hitting the ground like a bag of potatoes, it just comes down and it goes flat. He actually started bouncing like a beach ball bounces. So he bounced like five times until he was finally on the ground. And when they went to check on him, not only was he conscious, he didn't have a broken bone in his body. Literally, he, he had, you know, the ground had not been able to pierce the mind sphere. And the other guy is that one, I, I saw the video recording of it, 
was a woman who had a, was in a, involved in a severe um, car accident. She was driving alone, and she's driving. I don't know if you've seen them. You must see them. Well, I know that you don't drive much, <laughs> but you must have seen pictures of it. Sometimes you're driving on the highway, and right in front of you is a flatbed. There'll be a flatbed truck full of pipes. So this woman is is riding behind this uh, truck full of you know metal pipes. And something happened where the truck had to make a sudden stop. There was something in the highway, and she didn't see it in time. So her car literally plowed into the back of the truck. The pipes are sticking out. The hood of the car goes under the pipes, and the pipes actually go through the windshield. And uh, the what was the... I don't know. The thing I'm trying to remember is who the heck caught the image where the video, uh, why the video camera, but it, it was the craziest thing. You see the pipe going through the windshield and all of a sudden you see it very quickly shift sideways. So it went, it went into the car and the space between the two front seats is like something literally shoved it out of the way instead of going through her head. So Dr. Costa says that's another case. That's another case of the, the woman in that instant of, in that moment that is, you know, eternal instant of time, uh, she must have committed herself in some way, and the mind's fear sealed up, so nothing gets through it. So have I demonstrated this to myself? No. I I hope to never be in such an extremely dramatic <laughs> situation where I need to be protected by the mind sphere, but I am okay, really... Okay, now, the, the mind sphere uh, is located in... in it's around saying. the body. Surrounding the body. Okay. Yep. So that's your, your little sphere of consciousness? It's your sphere of mind. Consciousness is not bound by dimension, space, or Okay, place. so you're saying that technically in energetic terms, the mind is not contained within the brain. It's actually a almost bubble field around you. Correct. That's why you can get thought forms on your aura. <laughs> oh, explain but, that one. Well, that's that's why you get thought forms when people say, oh, you know, you have a thought form here stuck in your aura. Well, it's not really your aura. It's stuck in your mind sphere. Well, where did it's it come a, from? Is it my thought form or somebody else's? It could be your thought form. You create thought forms when you when you have a compulsive obsessive thinking. You give it enough energy, it just becomes self-sufficient. Uh, you can have thought forms that have been projected onto you by some kind of psychic attack. They're... You know, the list is endless. I wish the universe would be black and white, but heavens to Betsy, no. Okay, so <laughs> this, this, this mind that is surrounding us is, would you call that the, the, the higher mind, the higher self, the... No, that's the mind of, that, that's the individual mind. That's the individual mind, but separate from the animal soul's mind. Yep. Okay. This makes sense to me if, like in my case, um, I don't seem to be susceptible to the pain uh, in an uncomfortable situation that people that are hypersensitive to electromagnetic or Wi-Fi energy. However, I can feel energy. It's like 
it doesn't seem to penetrate my body so much as it comes into, I can say this, you know, if, if, if that's correct, that we've got this bubble mind thing, it's almost like I can perceive it by feeling, but it would be my own well, bubble of mind that was actually, in, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just uh, saying this is very good that you're, you're expressing uh, personal experience where you're, you're experiencing all these energies, you know, that, are impacting you in some way. If anybody ever wonders, you know, how, how they achieve mind control or how can they make you see something that's not there? Very simple. They're not attacking your brain. They're not programming your brains with electrical signals. It's just, they're just accessing the mind sphere. They put something there and this is where you, because <clears throat> This is the power of living in the now for all those people that are there that, you know, that have read the book uh, by this uh, European gentleman, you know, the power of now. Um, it is, I mean, there's a, it's an amazing, amazing power to be living in the now because in the now, the mind is terrified of the now because in the ma, in the, when you're sitting fully in the now, there's no future and there's no past because that's the domain of the mind. It's always projecting itself into the past. Or into the future. It hates to be in the now because when you're sitting fully in the now, there are no thoughts. It's, it's another of all the many techniques that are out there. It's another way of shutting down that endless stream of noise. You, you sit in the now and there's no room. There's no room in the now. So when, because of that, preoccupation with the mind, always focus in the past and always focus in the present. If you notice how people experience reality, they only partially use their five senses to experience reality because when they're looking at stuff, they're not seeing it. I, I, I've been looking at this for years. Uh, it has nothing to do with gender. It has nothing to do with age so much. But if you get into a conversation with someone, anyone, for example, okay, they're looking at a car. They're not looking at the car. They're looking at what the car means. Maybe later, once they're done, once they're done enjoying the experience of what the car means, maybe they'll finally look at it. Oh yeah, it's blue. Oh yeah, I, I know that type of tire. Oh yeah, I know it. It's got, they don't see, people don't experience with their five senses. They experience primarily through mind impressions. They're looking at a table and they're not appreciating that the table has this color and this size and this type of wood. The first thing that I notice is, oh yeah, I used to have a table like this in my grandma's house and they're not seeing the table. Instead of being in the now and processing what your five senses are reporting to you, they're seeing the impressions that the minds are giving them. They're so, remembering something that's similar. Exactly. So they're not looking at what's in front of them. <laughs> so if you can so they're so everything they're looking at is tainted by what's gone before. Exactly. So if you're trained psychically trained to project images, impressions, I don't know, memories, whatever it is that they, I, I'm, I am not trained like that, so I don't know what kind of training they get. It would be a very little effort to, at a distance convince someone that they saw a UFO. It would take very little effort. Just 
put something in their mind sphere and and they'll get the impression, oh yeah, I think I saw a UFO. And you see how the opinions vary. You saw one sequence of colors, another person saw another sequence of colors. Oh yeah, that was, that was, <laughs> well, when I, we're talking about an event where myself and four other friends saw a, a, a triangular vehicle. And when, when my mind saw it, it froze the picture of what it saw. In other words, the image that, that was, that I first saw froze. It didn't move, it didn't change, I couldn't analyze it. It was just like, so as, in, with your interpretation, so they, they send out this triangular image into, and it hits in, and it gets inside of my mind, this six foot bubble, and my lower mind or my frontal lobe mind, wherever, goes, what the heck is that? Because it was there, it imprinted, but it didn't have substance. Now, when Susie, who is, um, uh, believes that she's, she, that her guides are the Palladians and that is a very, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't look at the bad side of life. You know, she runs from it. She, she really tries to maintain this almost la-di-da-di kind of, of persona. When she saw it, she drew a picture of it, and she believed it was the Palladians. And the ship was um, not square and angular like I saw. It was all rounded and nice. But the two lights, or yes, there was a red light, and yes, there was a green light. They were reversed from what I initially saw. Peter, on the other hand, who is, is of a personality that... Um, uh, God, Peter is a complex guy, but he's very detailed oriented and he tells stories that seem to take a long time get to, to finish. You know, there's a lot of sto- story in his stories. He sees the thing moving and going behind a tree and then turning and then flying off. And I still have not talked to either Betsy or, um, or, or Sandy about it. And we're going to get together again, and I'm going to just see if what they remember from all that time away. But yes, everybody saw something definitely different, although it was within the the um, context of seeing something triangular with a red light and a green light. So you, what we're I, saying what we're saying is that we all got the same basic energetic thought form I- image. But it was our own experience and knowledge that made us interpret that image. Yeah, because the, the mind is always trying to interpret things based on our knowledge base, based on our belief systems, based on our indoctrinations. It's, it's always whatever it is, it tries to translate it in terms that we can understand. And you are aware of that because it's the same. You experience that like in remote viewing. You're seeing something and you're getting, your consciousness is picking up the direct energy, but then the mind has to put it in terms that the human can understand. So it translates and you see this figure or you see this shape or you see this color or you see a place or you see a device. Uh, it's always doing that, interpreting for you. The problem with that is that people do it when they're awake. So they're not really living and experiencing life. They're just 
going from impression to impression to impression. <laughs> They're never here. So how do you recommend that people begin to, let's say, get in the now, get into the to the detail, look at what you're seeing, not what you think you're seeing? Well, focus on your senses. I mean, there, like I said, there are tons of techniques, like, for example, um, pay attention to your nose, to the air that goes in and out as you're breathing. That gets you out of your head. That puts you in the now. Moving inside the, the cranium. Instead of moving inside your head. That takes you out of the stream of noise and puts you in a quiet space. And let me just stop you right there because when you said uh, move into the center of your cranium, I realize now that when I saw that object, that's exactly what I did. I came out of the recording side of watching it and <laughs> into, the, into the inside of my head and I'm going like, what the heck is this? But the recording wasn't recording because it wasn't even real. Yeah. Very so, interesting. Okay, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I just no, no, I realized that's, that that's what I had done. Yeah, and, and that, you know, bully for you, but we're not all wired the same way. <laughs> no, but, you know, I mean, I think of myself as an example of, you know, what can be. Because, yes, yeah. I, I definitely have a peculiar wiring system. Yeah. And, it, and if I can use my own, you know, myself as an example... Um, I'm glad to do it. I'll tell you anything you need to know about, you know, what I think is happening. Um, because I think that so many people can, that's the only way we learn, you know, is to talk to one another and find out because every, every reality is so different. Yeah. And that's why programs like this are important because we're, we're forcing ourselves to slow down and to really look at the details to get in the now, so to speak. So and that's why I, uh, that's one of the things that I told Annette is, um, unfortunately, the mind only knows what it knows, and it doesn't know what it doesn't know. So when you're processing a new information, or like when you were processing the image of something you had not seen before, yes, of course the mind is going to try to grab onto it. Yes, of course the mind is going to try to reason and analyze what the heck it is. But Give it a moment's rest and pay attention to what your body is saying, your whole body. How is it reacting? Is it constricting? Are your somebody, does it feel like somebody squeezing your guts or do you feel expansive? Do you feel your breath coming into your lungs much easier? Do your shoulders feel relaxed? Your whole body is so intelligent, not affected, cannot be deceived by illusion. It will tell you if what you're seeing is to be trusted. Or if it's good for you, the same happens with if you're reading, somebody gives you an article written by someone, and it's all fear porn. Your body's not going to like it, and you're going to feel the reaction. It doesn't matter if the mind says, oh, yeah, this sounds like it could be true. Forget that. You know, anybody can interfere with the mind, but not with the body. The body will experience things correctly and will tell you, oh, no, this is no good for you. Well, you know, there, there was a, the program on, um, one of the TV channels, I think it was a history channel on the brain and how easily, well, really how easily it can be tricked and they would put up certain scenarios and you as the viewer, um, have to try to determine, you know, what you're seeing. And so many times you didn't get it, at, you know, like somebody runs into a crowd and grabs uh, something and then runs off, you know, and you gotta figure out what really happened? Um, when I when when they would show the thing, I would inevitably fail. 
But once they showed me the trick, no matter how many ways they changed the basic scenario after that, I was able to get it. Yeah. You know, because I was looking at it as, not as I thought, but I was looking for the telltale details of what was happening. And that's where the, your projector pipe comes in very handy because the projectors pick up details that everyone's missed. So right. that's an advantage. But look, for another example, um, martial arts training. It's my understanding that uh, up to certain, when uh, martial artists reach a certain level, they do different kinds of exercises and training where they're blindfolded. They don't need eyes because the, the, the body will react to anything. You know, if uh, someone's attacking you, before they get to you, they have to cross the, the boundary line of the mind sphere. So now they're, they're working, you know, directly without the senses so much. The, the entire body, you know, all your cells are telling you this is what's happening. So you don't need the eyes to process, you know, visual data and you, Kind of okay, you know, he's coming from the left. I'm going to do this thing and block it. No, you don't. Everything will be done, you know, instantly and automatically without any reasoning involved. The body knows what to do, as long as you let it. <laughs> that, that that's like when you get that feeling that somebody's staring at you. Exactly, because somebody's staring at you. <laughs> right. right, and you're picking it up within your your mind. Remember the eyes put out the visual ray which is energy. Right. So any energy impacting you, you're going to pick it up. Interesting. Okay, so um, where's the higher self? How does this enter into this? What happens to this mind consciousness? Is this what what becomes the higher self? Or is this where is that the soul? I mean, well, the higher self never incarnates. It is far too huge for that. Plus, the higher self, from my understanding of it, it's your consciousness level that's sitting on sixth dimension. So this is third dimension going on to, well, if we're going to be technical, we are sitting on fourth dimension. You know, whatever you see of the third dimension is what's left over by the consensus that still wants to experience, you know, the collective that still wants to experience third dimension. What we are experiencing now, it's their projection because they still want to experience more of it. I don't know. But uh, technically speaking, the Earth and the solar system have already crossed over into fourth dimension. So this is the tail end of whatever was left on third dimension. Now, the higher self sits on sixth dimension. Uh, the, the best source material that I've seen describing the true identity of the higher self is the law of one material, the, the, the Ra material, the, the books that became the law of one, because Ra explained how you you know this for a fact that as you go up in dimensions, the limitations of time and space no long, are no longer binding. You know, what we consider, we, we are so focused on linear time, you know, the past, the present, the future is what's going to come and we're building it and all of that stuff. Well, that really doesn't affect them. Uh, they, they, when they move, they can literally move from 2012 to another year and, and stuff like that, and they're not bound by such constrictions. So the way that Ra explains it is that your higher self is your sixth dimensional self, 
and if you can grasp this concept, is in a way your future self. Because he says that once the the consciousness moves up from sixth dimension into seventh dimension, it continues on its way back to source. So the way that Ra explained it is that the sixth, the, the sixth, I mean the uh, higher self is your future self's gift to you. That's the way they express it. It's there to help you and assist you because it's you having lived. By the future self, you mean who are the, the the being that's already gone to the seventh dimension is maintaining the sixth dimension. Yep. It's higher looking self. back, and giving you a sixth dimensional self to help you along the way. Well, I'll tell, you. I'll tell you that, that I understand that concept very clearly because there was um, a couple of occasions where. Um, I sort of did a remote viewing of situations that occurred in the past mm. that I knew what the history was mm. and saw the person hesitate taking the action that would create a certain future. Mm. And I was in a situation where I knew that I could influence history by just saying, no, go, go, you know, because I knew what the history would be if they did. I did mm -hmm. not know what the history would be if they didn't. And yet I didn't, I didn't make that decision. I mean, I just watched it. And, and the person made the right decision, of course. But I mean, it was one of those situations where it was like, oh, so... If I can go back and I can actually see what happened in the past and believe that I can actually influence that person's mind to do something, then how many times has my higher self come down to me and done that to me? You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, but that's the, that's another thing that changed. Um, because up until 2005, I think it was, 5,000... 2004, 2005, um, I was reading information from this lady. Uh, at the time, she was living in Arizona. Uh, she goes by the name, she, her name is uh, Joanna Neff. And at the time, she was documenting, and she was posting it for free. She wasn't charging anybody anything. Uh, she was um, channeling a fifth dimensional entity by the name of Melora. And, uh, she was posting it on her website, so you, you could read that for free. I don't know. I think the only thing she charged for was people who needed, uh, personal private, private consultations that she would charge for, but all the other information she just gave it away. So in one of the, the chapters of what she published, she brought to light, um, something very significant and insightful. And she said it had to do with all the changes that are happening at the time on the planet. This is 2005, I think, is when I read it. And the thing was this, is that forever, um, people from different religions, different philosophical schools of thought and schools of philosophy, they always took it for granted that it's the higher self constantly reaping Wisdom from your li your life experiencing, your suffering, all the crap that you go through in an incarnation, all of that energy 
all that wisdom that you're distilling from your life experiencing, that's all being reaped and taken, you know, appreciated and received by the high self. So essentially it's like all of these things that you're living are going up into the high self, all this wisdom, all the things you've learned and the subsequent consciousness changes that you have endured because of that. That's why many, many beings say that earth is such a powerful school because, you know, one or two lives on earth and you can advance more than a thousand years in another planet, you know, something like that. But this lady, uh, in her channel information said at that time it's coming to a close that now we should be, our communication with the high self should be reciprocal and bi-directional. That not only is the high self receiving knowledge and wisdom from our experiencing, but he should also, you know, he, she, you know, neutral, should also help us in our, in our life course and assist us, you know, in what we need to do. So we should, you know, we shouldn't be in this situation where we're all, you know, alone and bereft and nobody's helping us. No, you should be getting help from the high self. And I do remember at the time, doing one of the exercises that she suggested when dealing with a problem, like those people that, you know, we were renting a place and they kept forcing us and forcing us and pushing us that we needed to get out by such and such a date. And we were doing the best we could to find a place where to move to. And at the time, I remember reading one of the exercises she gave where you can do it while meditating or you can do it as you're falling asleep. You address your high self. You speak to your high self and ask that it speak to the high selves of the people that you're having a problem with. So at the time, I remember asking, you know, please speak to the higher selves of these people to give me, to leave me alone for the last month that I'm supposed to be living here because I can't deal with the stress of them calling me every day. When am I going to leave? When they already gave me a set date. Why are you still harassing me? So, uh, whether it's childlike fantasy or whatnot, but it worked. For a solid 30 days, they left me alone so we could focus on our house hunting. <laughs> well, you know, I use that technique. Or, or I, I actually, it, I, when, when I get into that, it's because I, there's nothing I can do for that person at all. And I just say to my higher self, please talk to their higher self or soul. You know, whatever, whatever image it is in my head, I don't know. I just think of it as these higher beings. Please talk to that higher being and help that person because I don't know who that person's guides are, but I know that my higher self undoubtedly knows their higher self. And please, can you have this conversation and help them out? And again, it could be my way of doing the only thing that I can imagine yeah. to, to, to help these people. But now that you, um, that I'm looking at the whole thing, it um, becomes fascinating because if any one of those past lifetimes, it happened two times that I, I'm definitively aware of, where I actually went back and watched it happen and thought that I could influence the outcome. Mm-hmm. And I didn't act, but I didn't act because they didn't give me permission to act. I could have said, oh, shit, if you do that, you know what's going to happen? You know, but yeah. if you give your higher self permission to um, give you that higher information. It, you know, I mean, I certainly would be willing to listen to my higher self because of the perspective. And, of course, it's my higher self. I can trust it. 
Well, all the all the and you, you know you already know that it's a. For I never visited the place. They tell me it's a huge library. All the channel information from Edgar Casey at the uh, ARE Center. He all, all that all of that did not come from ETs or other worldly entities. All the time, all the information he got was he was channeling his own higher self. That's right. That's it. That's right. Wow. And there you have it. You know, the guy, I, I don't know how many years he did it. I, I understand it was whole decades that he did this work, and he filled a library with it. Wow, that's really interesting. So the, the, the you know, get to your higher self. What what? What did we start out? What are we doing here? We only start, let me see, number nine. The goal of living is to tap into the conscious mind of the soul or your higher self. <laughs> Let your higher self take charge and we're going to be a-okay. Listen, and, the, and the higher self, um, uh, when Dr. Costa would give up the material for the course, you see this picture that looks like a, like a wheel, like an old, like an old uh, stagecoach wheel with a hub in the center and all the spokes. Uh-huh. Uh, the, the hub of the wheel is your high self, and each spoke is going to one of your incarnations. The higher self sees them simultaneously. There is no past or present or future for it. So your life now as Nancy Hopkins is being seen simultaneously as your life as Patton and as your other, however many lives you've had on this planet. It's seeing them in the moment of now. And what, that what concept kills everybody. They 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 don't get it. Their eyes just roll back into their heads and they kind of fall in their chair because it's beyond their grasp. But what a game! Because if you're at the higher self level, right? Yep. And you got Nancy that wakes up and says, "Hey, I got a higher self. You know, uh, give me any insights that I may need. You know? <laughs> oh well. Oh God. Now we got to go back to Patton. Let's see if Patton will listen." Patton's on his deathbed. What's he say? I will remember. Okay, Nancy can now remember. Yay! <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It would be yeah. multi, multi, wow. I mean, I guess if you're at a higher self, your ability to, at consciousness, wherever it resides, is going to be able to deal with all these completely awesome stories. I mean, it's um, all stories. Are schools points. teaching this? No, of course not. We don't want this. You know, darling, we've run out of time here. We're at the top of the hour, and um, okay then, uh, Walt, you were brilliant. Um, I learned so much. Uh, awesome, awesome, Walt, as Annette likes to call you. Well, as um, long as it's something useful you can use, then that's good. That's the key, you know. And I and and well, I, Colleen, what do you think? You can use this information. Oh, definitely, of course. Um, I'll have to re-listen. As you know, I'm kind of in and out. I know it does take processing, though. But that's oh, what. Yeah. So that's why we record these things, and they're in the archives. <laughs> Thank you, everybody out there in Radio Land. Thanks, audience. You're beautiful. Love you all. Be safe. Love you. See you later. Later, you. all. Bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. You have been listening to the Cosmic Reality Radio Show, produced by Cosmic Reality Radio. Thank you for listening. Choose your heart as a